Welcome to a special update episode of the Sticky Beak Podcast. I am Joe McGuire, the executive producer of this podcast and the husband of the greatest podcaster of all time, <laughs> Jessica Fritz Aguire, who was working on a bonus episode in the last couple of weeks. The Doreen Vincent case has had some serious developments in it, stuff that we won't be able to share on this particular episode, but just know that a lot of things are going on behind the scenes. Jessica has talked to a bunch of people who have now come out of the woodwork. We are getting information from all sides. We'll share with you what we can. We want to be careful because, again, there's big news here, and this case might finally see a conclusion. That's true. It really has become a boulder rolling downhill. And I guess you blew my secret. I had been planning on a secret surprise update episode, and I... Couldn't write that fast enough. And then all of a sudden, yesterday, I learned that Mark was back in Connecticut. Joe and I spoke about it and discussed concerns for our safety and the safety of our family. So I had Joe send, against my you know feminist leanings, I had Joe send Chief DeMeo a request that they call our local police department, let them know what's going on, and take any measures that they could to keep us safe. And we wanted to know that eyes were on Mark just to make sure that he wasn't A, fleeing because he came from Vermont to Connecticut and that he wasn't anywhere near us. And almost as soon as Joe sent that email, he got a call from Chief DeMeo. Assistant Chief DeMeo did give me a call and informed me, and it's now on the patch, I think that's the first place it was reported, that Mark Vincent is in custody. He's in custody. And I was assured that he won't be getting out anytime soon. So this is what we have from the patch. It's a very small, detail-free article. But what we know is this. Last night, um, February 16th, 2022, officers went to Milford Christian Church to investigate what's called a suspicious incident. And they found that Mark Vincent, 65, of Johnson, Vermont, was in possession of a stolen firearm. So here's what he's been charged with. Two counts of criminal possession of a firearm and one count of stealing a firearm with the bail set at $250,000. And, you know, Joe, before we dive into this, it hasn't gotten past me that this is what happened the first time. Mark was under suspicion for Doreen's disappearance. Police were hoping to bring some charges against him, and they were able to get him on that felony possession of a gun. It's like history repeating itself, but I think this time, hopefully, it'll be a little different. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about some of the different things that you've learned over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, people are asking about the FOIA request that you had put in, and there's been a response from the Wallingford police, and there's a chance that the request will be <laughs> rescinded at this point. Rescinded by us, because what I've always said, and I've relayed that to the police time and time again, and just recently, that I love this podcast. I'm so invested in it, but there is nothing that I would do for this podcast for the sake of ratings or whatever I would earn on Patreon that would devastate this case. It would devastate me if something I did compromised the investigation and they weren't able to charge or prosecute or convict. Mark Vincent for what we all think he did to his daughter. So the police are very aware that I will sit on information if needed. And I it's killing me, but I have been sitting on a lot of information kind of trying to wait this out. I think the fact 
that we've changed people's voices, you change people's names. When the police ask, you've never revealed a source of where you got your information from. And more or less through the grapevine, people talking to people, people have sort of learned that you're a trusted person and that your intentions in this case aren't to become a super famous crime-solving podcaster or whatever. That, you know, from day one, when, when you joined us, Sarah Dimio and I, mm-hmm. on season two of Faded Out, which, by the way, is still getting a ton of love, and, and we appreciate that. You were just kind of helping. You were helping us sort of figure things out. Your intention was never to do this. No. And my intention was to poke my nose into legal corners where people couldn't really get in unless they knew what they were looking for. And then the bug bit me. And three years later, I'm still here. And one thing, thank you for saying my sources find me trustworthy. What I always tell my sources, especially if they want to remain anonymous, is one, Like I just said, I would never do anything to compromise the case. Two, I'm not going to do anything to put anyone in danger. I realize the potential danger that Mark Vincent poses. And three, if I don't treat you as a source with respect and with confidentiality, then you're going to stop talking to me and you're going to tell everyone else you know to stop talking to me. And so I've been able to get just an absolute boon of information from people who tell their friends, you can talk to Jessica. She's safe. And my phone has been lighting up like a Christmas tree. And that was before the arrest last night. So just sort of in the last couple of weeks, people know Mark left Team Challenge in New Haven and went up to Vermont. And apparently that stay ended. And so Mark now is sort of a man in limbo, too. Right. So no one's been able to tell me specifically why Mark left. The sense that I'm getting and the sense that everyone talking to me has is that the heat finally got to be too much for Pastor Rick. I will be discussing this in my extended Teen Challenge episode. Surprise, but the sense that I get from everyone I speak to is that Mark is Pastor Rick's favorite. And for years, for decades, Mark has been able to get away with certain things that no one else gets away with. And that's not just his temper and throwing hammers. Teen Challenge is a place that prides itself on its stringent discipline. It makes the guys that they take in adhere to the rules because that's part of the lifestyle that they want to encourage and dissuading them from addiction. But Mark is able to just do whatever he wants. So I actually just saw one of the Teen Challenge guys posted on his Facebook, looks like Pastor Ricky won't be able to get you out of this one. And uh, none other than Paul Vincent responded and said this has nothing to do with Teen Challenge, which I would submit it has a lot to do with Teen Challenge. Just what, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm getting very warm. So, again, there's so much going on right now in this case. And you've been talking to people that go back many decades with Mark and people who (laughs) know Mark more currently. And part of what you've done an amazing job of, and I know the Wallingford Police agree with this and appreciate this, but your timeline of events and now your ability to find people in all of those different times that can sort of account for stories and where Mark was. I Mm -hmm. think one of the more interesting things that has developed not related to Mark being arrested or to the actual cases, information about when Mark got arrested for the arson. 
Right. We finally have somebody who's directly involved in that and could speak on it. Well, so here's the funny thing. I had that guy's name. I called him this morning. He said, I'd be more than happy to talk to you. He said, just like I wish that the police had spoken to me 30 years ago. I got a lot to say. He said, but I'm on vacation right now. Can I call you on Tuesday? And I thought to myself, oh, my God, I can't hold out that long. Less than two hours later, I got news of this arrest. I texted him and he called me immediately because he was ready to talk. This guy was full of stories. What he said to me talking about this gun, he had sent me a text and he said, I bet as soon as you find out what really happened, you're going to find out that this was someone Mark knew and Mark knew that he had a gun and he just wanted it. And then he told me a bunch of stories of their kids in Bethel. And this kid shows him his antique gun collection and his coin collection. And Mark really likes it. And then a few days later, it's gone. And the guy asks, did you take my coin collection and my guns? And Mark just poker face. No, I didn't. He said Mark was a hardworking guy, but Mark wanted money. And Mark was never able to make enough. So he had to resort to creative ways. And so that sends a chill down my spine. I said, do you mean something having to do with his daughter? And he said, no, but Mark would do things like go out in the middle of the night and use a chainsaw on barns to take down the, the barn siding. And then he would sell it in Bethel to people. But yeah, Mark also worked at a country club and he realized that he could steal all of the whiskey and the meat cutting machine, apparently. Yeah. So he lifted the meat cutting machine and the whiskey and then he handed it out to all his buddies. I don't know if he sold it or handed it out, but the guy said, oh, it was a great Christmas. All our parents got whiskey that year. So you're talking about Mark supplying a bunch of high school kids with bottles of whiskey to gift their parents. That's the kind of guy he is. So what is worrying to me is that $250,000 bail. I'm hearing from two camps. I'm hearing from people that say there's absolutely no way that he can scrounge that change together. And then I'm hearing from, we all know he's had support in the past. We all know women have paid his way out. He's hidden with his wife, Kathy. Maybe there's a chance that he has connections to people in power. I don't know. My fear is that he'll get that money somehow. But I did speak to the Milford police just earlier, and they were under the impression that he had not made bail and that he's at Bridgeport Correctional as we speak. Again, I was told safety won't be an issue and that he's not going anywhere. So I'm totally speculating here, but it would seem as though there are more serious charges as related to this case quite possibly coming, which is obviously what we've all been hoping for from the beginning. And I, I want to get into that because, again, that's not something that we can really talk about right now. Obviously, we'll be talking about it a ton in the future, but what I actually wanted to talk about was the fact that you have reached out to and, again, just talk to and have the support of people in just about every facet of Mark's entire life, from girlfriends and former wives to blood relatives and in-laws and friends of his and co-workers and colleagues and Pretty much teen challenge. Would you say that you've ever spoken to a single person who defended Mark? I spoke to someone recently who questioned. They said, I'm about 80% there. And it seems very circumstantial. And the thing that bothered this person the most was that Mark had gone to see his mother, Lori, on Father's Day. 
four days minimum after Doreen disappeared and didn't mention anything to her and didn't take the bait when Lori offered Mark Pease to bring back to Doreen. And Mark would say later in articles that he didn't tell his mother because she and Doreen didn't get along or they didn't have a relationship. But that doesn't make any sense because you would expect a father who was missing a daughter, no matter what her relationship was like with her grandparents, to say, Mom, Dad, I'm absolutely going out of my mind. I've, I'm missing my daughter. But Debbie has always said that Lori told them he had his shirt off, he didn't move a muscle, and he was at peace and, and calm, and he knew where she was. I, that story always creeps me out. I, I know. I don't know why, but everyone looking at Mark shirtless for like a reaction I don't yeah. know. I don't know what I'm I don't know what we're looking for in his body like twitching when he's talking. But or my my sense is that yes, it is a circumstantial case, but we're not talking one or two or twelve or twenty pieces of circumstantial evidence. We're talking I will be making a list, just I think because it will be helpful to use in the future. But there's probably about a hundred pieces of circumstantial evidence on this. I don't know if you realize this or not. I notice it, and maybe you consciously or subconsciously do this when you are talking to people, but you always ask them, basically, if they think that Mark would ever admit to doing yes. it. And this is going to be, I think, the worst and saddest part of this is Mark being arrested. Again, I think we're hopeful that the big thing's coming down here pretty soon, but he's not going to say where Doreen is. Mm -hmm. And... Again, we all have four or five different places we think, one of them obviously being the entirety of Huntington State Park. Mm -hmm. Or at the house. A lot of people still think she's in, under the concrete at the house. I, I am one of those people mm -hmm. that definitely does. But I guess here's one of the things. You've been asked this before. Would you rather find Doreen or Marco to jail? And you would always said you wanted to find Doreen because that was the number one thing for the family and, mm -hmm. and just the idea that that little girl's not laid to rest properly. Right. And there's some finality to it. But you'd always said if you found the body, then you'd have a pretty good idea what happened and it would link back to the person that did it. And now that it looks like built off the circumstantial case that is so insanely strong. Yeah, it's very compelling. That he's not going to give it up. Well, so I have a couple thoughts on that. The contact that I spoke to today that knew Mark from a long time ago said that Mark developed a habit that everyone knew about, that he would commit a crime, and then he would go and he would stand in front of the mirror and repeat his story, the story that he wanted the cops to believe to himself, over and over and over and over, until he pretty much perfected it, and I think maybe even believed it himself. Right, like a sociopath. Right, or that's one of the Remember when I said about the Hannibal Lecter thing? Comparing someone to Hannibal Lecter and the intellect of that person and the fictitious serial killer and all his killings is a little bit silly, but my point being about Mark, and again, if you do just the slightest bit of research, he's a sociopath. Mm -hmm. Everyone that's ever met or known Mark realizes he's a sociopath. My God. Well, but anyway, <laughs> I'll tell you what I'd love to do right now. I would love to get in the car and go to Bridgeport. Yeah, no kidding. And get that son of a bitch on the other side of some glass and just start screaming at him, where is she? You know, I called Bridgeport Correctional before and there were a number of choices that you could make, you know, on the menu. One is if you want to alert a prisoner that someone in their family has died. There were a whole bunch of different things. And I'm like, how do you tell if someone's locked up? But one of the things was 
you can learn about visiting hours. And I thought about that because I would love to ask. But I do think that he believes if he did this, then he has convinced himself that he either didn't do it or that he did it and he's fine with the Lord. One of the funny things talk about a sociopath we've talked about is arson, his burglary, his assault. I think he had an assault with a deadly weapon. He's had all sorts of stuff. The gun charge that was brought against him on which he was convicted in the early 90s. I heard this story today. Joe, you were with me. And my eyes almost popped out of my head. I guess when Mark was 14 years old, he got together with the alcoholic wife of his neighbor. And he and the alcoholic wife basically stole the couple's mobile home. And the wife and Mark, at 14 years old, drove it down to Florida. And I asked some people today, you've never told me that story before? And they said, oh, yeah. Mark took the mobile home. They drove it down to Florida. They crashed it. And then they had to come back. I guess no charges ever filed. But we're talking about a 14-year-old kid going on. And I did confirm he was having sex with that woman, engaged in a relationship with that woman, did take a joyride down to Florida and crash a mobile home. Well, that is, uh, that's insightful, huh? Wow. Right. Well, here's another one. I had talked to Mary. Her interviews have been on the podcast before. Mary, Doreen, and Donna, and Debbie and Carol's cousin down in Florida. She told me that she had always suspected that there was a fire at this place called The Slippery, which was an antique furniture store in, I don't remember the town. But she said, I, I don't have any proof. I just always had a suspicion. And the source I talked to today told me that one of Mark's things to do was go to an antique store steal a bunch of antique furniture, and then set the place on fire because he knew that if everything was burnt to the ground, there'd be no proof of any theft and the owner would get insurance proceeds. So I'm going to go ahead and perhaps confirm that slippery rumor, Mary. If Um, Donald Trump was Robin Hood. Yeah, I guess. Or if the mafia turned good, like that would be their thing. Right, steal stuff and burn the place down for the insurance money. <laughs> but burn the place down. Just take a chair, you know? Like you can take you can take a break front or whatever and go. Okay. So here's what people are always gonna try to do, and this bugs me out about so many podcasts I listen to. He's a sociopath. Mm-hmm. So to try to understand how Mark could do the things he does or, you know, I saw somebody, I think, commented on the Facebook page. How could he sleep at night? And it's like, dude, he's dressed like a baby. Yeah, he's fine. Nothing bothers this person. You have to understand something. And and if you've never dealt with a sociopath before, and I've got extensive experiences in this field, this is a person that lacks a conscience. They don't care. They don't think about you. Everybody's a Mark. Literally. That's funny. But (laughs) literally, I mean, right? That's They're out there to... Try to get what they can from every situation. Mm -hmm. It's the reason why this is a smart guy by all accounts, but also an idiot opportunist. That's how you get busted robbing a payphone for nickels and dimes. Right. Or stealing a meat grinder, right? Or meat cutter. Right. Some of the the stories we've heard, it's hard to think of this guy as smart, but if you think of him as a sociopath who sees what he wants and takes it, then there's nothing to explain here. Mm Mm-hmm. If he acted out in a fit of rage, or again, if he did something to Doreen that he had to cover and she died accidentally or him in a rage, that seems to fit the Mark criteria and the sociopath criteria 
at the same time, if you're a problem, you've got to be eliminated. And that's been what I've been getting from every single source is that a lot of people don't seem to think that this was planned. Joe, you have a different take on that, which is actually going to be another Patreon that we've recorded that we haven't even had time, Joe, for you to edit and put up. But we'll be going on Patreon about our theories about this case. But a lot of people have said to me, they don't think Mark ever planned to hurt her, but given the right temper tantrum, given him flying off the handle, he was certainly capable of doing it. And we do know, right, that he had an altercation with her. I don't know if it's Sharon's story or Mark's story or a combination of both, but he had an altercation with her, and that's when she, quote, left. Think of your top 10, I don't want to say favorite, but crimes that you're most familiar with, true crimes. How many of them involve either cement, freshly done cement, or an altercation just before the person vanished, and then, yeah, I don't know, they, they ended up dead? That's so weird, because when I left, they were fine. Right, and failure to report. I think I just explained, like, 75% of all Dateline episodes. Yeah. Like, that's sort of what you see here. You know, we've talked about, you know, whether these things are red herrings or whether there's something to it, and... Here's the thing about Mark Vincent and people of that ilk. When all the directions point at it, probably as, as much positive proof as you're ever going to get. Because that's a person that will look you dead square in the eyes and tell you it's not raining while they're standing under an umbrella. Well, Joe, you and I have had this conversation many times and we're always saying, hypothetically, if he's innocent, then explain this, this, and this. There are a number of different things to explain. I don't think at criminal trial you would be able to enter into evidence all the old stuff that he did, his entire criminal record. But you can't make me believe that arson and robbing a payphone and stealing whiskey and cutting down a barn in the middle of the night. You can't tell me that that person all of a sudden stopped when they got to Teen Challenge and never did anything again. And I think my point has been proven, Joe, now that he is sitting in Bridgeport Correctional Facility for stealing a firearm and unlawfully possessing a firearm, which you would think he would have learned the first time. Yeah, you would have thought he would be very familiar with his rights as a convicted felon on whether he should possess, but also as a Christian should probably know that you shouldn't steal guns, especially guns from churches. Guns from a church. So here's another thing. I have been looking at my phone just incessantly because Wallingford has promised us a press release on this. So what you're going to do is go to wallingford.connecticut.us, and there's a section for press releases. It is not up now, but I am hoping for details on the arrest. I want to know what the suspicious incident was. Joe, I'll tell you this. You were out today when you called me to tell me you had spoken to Chief DeMeo and that Mark was in custody. As you were speaking to me, I got a message from another source who I've never spoken to before. They said, I love your podcast. I listen to every episode. I'm totally invested. By the way, I have stuff to tell you. But before they even did that, they sent me the patch article. And I was on the phone with you, Joe, when it popped up. And I said to myself, I know exactly what this is. And I clicked on it. Now, here's the reason that this source is important, because this source told me that that church is right down the street from Mark's house that he shares with Kathy in Milford. Now, Mark's marriage with Kathy is a whole different story that you guys are going to have to wait for, but it was a crime of opportunity. He was hanging out in his neighborhood. Sounds like he knew there was a gun somewhere. Like the Silver City gun clerk said, I sell guns to everybody. I sold guns to priests. 
people have asked me today, why would a priest have a gun? I said, why not? Well, they have cash on hand in churches, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. At least the ones I used to go to. Right. A lot of cash on hand. Right. And a suspicious incident. All I can think is that he was being watched. And I'm thankful for that because, like I said, when we found out he was in Connecticut, started to get a little nervous because as far as he's concerned, right, in his mind, I've backed him up against the wall. He's been resting easy for three decades before Sarah and you and I started to push on this. And I've almost given up a couple times. And I'm so heartened to see this because who knows, maybe good wins this time. I'm so curious why he felt such a need to get a gun when he came back. And I really do appreciate Deputy Chief Anthony DeMeo calling me today because I did send him an email this morning. Yeah. And I did express the fact that I know they can't be watching Mark 24-7, or even if they are, they can't tell me that. I understand that, I told him. I said, but I am very concerned about this guy. His back against the wall, he's on the run. Mm-hmm. We don't really know where he's going. I don't know if you guys have tabs on him and asked if they would notify our local police department. I said, at the very least, I'd just like for my police department to know where my house is, which is, by the way, for anybody who has any, uh, one of the lieutenants in town is like three houses down from me. And we're about five minutes from the police station in Weathersfield. So, again, I just thought in the event something happened, I just wanted the Weathersfield police to be aware of it so they came here quick. Mm-hmm. And that was all I asked. And he called me. And it was so weird to see that. I mean, as soon as that number came up, I think from you having dialed it so many times, yeah. but I, I was out doing some business earlier today and I saw the call and I was like, I think this is the Wallingford police. It was assistant deputy chief, deputy chief, rather, yeah. uh, deputy chief Anthony DeMeo, who was very sincere in the concerns I had expressed and then immediately reassured me he wouldn't be a problem and then told me that Mark was in custody. And you know what I did when he said that? At first, I was shocked, obviously, for a second, but I I pulled the phone away from my face because I thought, does Jess not know this yet? No, I was so mad that you learned first. DeMeo, I love you. DeMeo, we love you. She's so mad at you that you didn't call her first. I am the one that sent the email, and I do, again, appreciate the response. Well, I said to Joe, I said, why don't you send the email? Because I have been bugging the crap out of DeMeo. Bugging him, bugging him, bugging him. I said, why don't you send the email so it doesn't look like, I don't, sucks to say, I don't want to come across like a hysterical woman, but we're concerned. So Joe sends the email, and then, Deputy Chief, you called him right back? What is it about Joe? One for one, buddy. I like that. Yeah, what the heck? Well, my hope is that we can work together. I think this is a huge, huge development. I think it gives us leverage. I've always heard that Mark is terrified of prison. He spent a lot of time there, and he's never wanted to go back. But I say, if you don't want to go back to prison, don't crime. Uh, One can only hope at this point that at his advanced age, and obviously we've been told he's not in great physical condition, Jail's probably where he's going to be for most of the rest of his life. But at this point, his life is ruined. Right. Right. You're not going to get hired anywhere. I would really, I mean, I would be, and I don't want to speak for anybody or the family, but I would be fine with some deal in order to find out where Doreen is. Yes. Don't put me in gen pop, right? I would say, Mark, we won't put you in the general population of any prison that you will be in. 
if you tell me where the body is. You know, one thing I did learn in the course of the last week, there's been this question of whether Mark was a drug addict. And I guess he vocally did tell people that, yes, he's done cocaine in his life. He was into heroin in his life. I just talked to someone today who has seen him shooting up, just like out and about shooting up in public. And I got another story from yet another source that in Mark's creativity to try to get money, he would mark his arms all up with needles and not necessarily doing heroin, but marking his arms up. And then he would go to New York City because what he had figured out was there were five methadone clinics that would give methadone to heroin addicts. And he would get methadone and he would do this time and time again. And then he would bring the methadone back to Danbury to sell it. His body is compromised. Um, I don't know I guess he's been treating it like crap forever. But, you know, these stories all tell me about, I mean, that's a sad, pitiable life. And I would just hope that he has some sort of come to Jesus moment. But I don't know. He really believes he hasn't done this. Yeah. He's not going to have a come to Jesus moment because that's not a convenient thing for Mark. So I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't drop the good Christian routine like ASAPers. That's not really going to be to his advantage right now. Right. Which is very unfortunate, but earlier in this podcast, I called him a son of a bitch, and I just want to say I meant no offense to Lori, his mother. Oh my God, I heard from the other day, here comes Mark, Lori's looking out the window, cutting her ever-present aloe plant. I heard from people, I think it was June, the neighbor in Redding that lived across the street from Georgia, that Lori always had those aloe plants. Somebody told me a story about Mark crashed another car. And there's Lori standing at the kitchen window, slicing her aloe plant. She looks out and here comes the tow truck towing yet another destroyed car. And she just didn't even allow herself to get upset because she was so used to it. I mean, this has been a person who has been abusing people, committing crimes and not fit to live among the rest of us because he can't help himself. Well, we might not have to worry about that for much longer. Oh, boy. So, yeah, keep checking the Wallingford page. I'm going to post it on the Sticky Beak Facebook group as soon as it comes out so people are up to date. If you're not on the Sticky Beak Facebook page, get on it immediately. Get caught up on the episodes. Like I said, these two trilogies with Mark and Sharon, three episodes each, the writing and the researching and the talking to people and the editing, and then I have to record it and Joe edits it. My thought was, let me get this special bonus episode out as fast as I can, you know, just update you guys. But this case is happening so quickly and everything is unraveling so quickly that I just wanted to jump on here with you guys so I could get my thoughts down and Joe's thoughts down before we move on, because I thought I could take a little rest, but I guess that's not happening. And you know what? That's not really my personality either. So I guess we are where we are and we'll just have to wait and I'll keep digging and I'll keep you guys informed and if you have questions, let me know. JusticeforDory at gmail.com. You can always email me. You can join the Patreon. Joe and I have posted a couple things recently, and we have big plans for some other little surprises, dissecting evidence and talking about our theories. So jump on there. The phone bill that I talked about with the Cardinals and Cubs calls is also on there. So you can dissect and try to find out just who was calling who in those two weeks after Doreen went missing. But there's so much information, it's hard to get my arms around. And I'm going to need to take some time and, and do that. So I guess that's it for now. Stay tuned. The way this case has been going, I've been telling people stay tuned. And then I j make a joke. I'll talk to you in an hour. And that's really how it's been unfolding. 
I'm sure that as soon as I'm done recording this, I'm going to leave the studio and something else will have popped up or there'll be some other message on my phone. But that's the way it's gone. And and I hope to God I can I can solve this thing with your help. So we'll be jumping on uh, that bonus episode, which will be out uh, hopefully very soon. Although some things might have to be updated. Do look for that episode. That will be coming very shortly. Obviously, if more news breaks about this case, and everybody knows what I mean by that, we will obviously update you again. And I look forward to a point in the near future, Jessica, where we can talk about all of the things. Mm -hmm. And at some point, and again, this is why Patreon is a good deal. It's five bucks a month. You can see and learn a lot of things there, and there's a you'll you'll see things there that you won't see here because yeah. it's protected. And eyes and ears too. I mean, there somebody might be looking at something and see something that I don't or that Joe doesn't. I've had that phone bill for about two years now, and I just sat down with it the other day, and I thought this looks really weird. Let me really dig into it and figure out what's going on, and you know, came up with the information that I did. So if you see something that sets off some sort of brainstorm, let me know. It's been, oh God, I've been working on this case since October 2018 with you and Sarah. Um, it's been over three years, and we told Donna and Debbie and Carol that we wouldn't stop, and we haven't. And I really think, I really think we're moving towards the end game here, Joe. It's starting to feel that way. Make sure you visit the website, <sighs> clevercrestmedia.com backslash stickybeak. Subscribe, like, share, recommend this podcast to everybody you know. We'll and, be- and thank you to all the people who have already joined Patreon and for the people who always put their support on the page and all the private messages that I get. It really means a lot to me. You know, this case has taken a lot out of me, but I wouldn't do it if it wasn't so important. And I can't stop now. So your support really does mean everything. All right, before we go, I just got to share one thing. Mm-hmm. I've been in broadcasting for my entire adult life. 25 years I've been doing this highly rated radio personality, but oh I'm not here to brag Joe. about myself. My wife got the most amazing review I've ever seen, ever. And I want to share that with you. It's it's called Absolutely Amazing Podcast. It's from JJoe0625. I don't know who you are. We don't know who this person is. And that's why this is super cool. Because sometimes it's people that we know where it's, you know, your your main listeners and stuff. I've listened to so many podcasts over the years, and I have to be honest, Jessica Fritz-Aguire, the way you tell the story, how compassionate you are for everyone involved, how passionate you are for justice, and how you tie everything in is really incredible. I can honestly say that this podcast is by far the best one that I have ever listened to. Hashtag justice for Dory. It's amazing. Thank you. You really do, in addition to delivering this information in, in such stellar fashion, the research and the time that you put in, I, I am so glad that people appreciate what you do. And I don't think people can understand the hours and hours and hours that every single episode, mm-hmm. the time and effort that goes into that. Not this one, though. Not this episode. No, we just jumped right on. We had to, we had to talk to you guys. This is the free flower, but every other episode but this one. And I just want to congratulate you on doing such a magnificent job and some kudos to Sarah Dimio for getting the ball rolling really? on this thing. And Sarah's going to be doing a season three of Faded Out. 
coming up here in 2022. And maybe at some point we'll even have Sarah back on here so we can kind of talk about... Because this is something we kind of always have been for the last three years talking mm-hmm. about. Will we ever see the end of this thing? And it'll be really exciting to just kind of sit there and powwow at some point. Yeah, so. and that's the plan. Sarah and I have talked to have her back on my show and, you know, I share on her show. And I just want to say, too, that thank you for reading that because that that really touched me. And Donna's family, Mark's family, Sharon's family, your input and support and your patience has been incredible. And I would not have been able to do it without those families. And it says a lot to me that the three families are united in what they want to see happen in their quest for justice. And I, I couldn't do it without everybody. So thank you. When when Joe and I get together, somebody joked, you know, you guys should have a radio show together. And Joe kind of laughed it off. And I really, I was like, oh, that'd be a cool idea. I never thought it would be anything like this. And this has been such a great experience. And I just hope that it pays off in the end. Well, awesome job. I love you. I love you too. And we'll talk to you very soon on the next DVD. Are you crying? Walk softly, children. Walk As we are in another year living through a worldwide pandemic, it's important to protect yourself and your loved ones. You've worked hard for the things you have and for the people you share them with. But what if something tragic happened to you? While it's dark and difficult to think about the prospect you won't be around in the future, it will be a reality one day. If you have young children, who will be your children's guardian? If you've been divorced and remarried, Will your children from your prior marriage be taken care of? Or if you want to donate to a certain charity after you pass, will those wishes be fulfilled? What will happen to your assets and your estate? If you already have a will or trust, you enjoy that peace of mind. If you don't have a will or trust, contact attorney Nia Serdosky at NCS Law, 860-966-9968. Attorney Serdosky is an estate planning attorney in Connecticut who can explain the differences of benefits of wills and trusts and give you the peace of mind that your affairs are in order and that your loved ones and your estate are provided for and safe. NCS Law, practicing peace of mind. 860-966-9968. Nia at ncsestateprobatelaw.com.